So Jesus, you do set us free from fear and ask that you would use those words from Scripture to make us brave. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Hello, and I am sorry about the temperature. It's like really cold in here. I think we're working on it, but um, you just need to give more money. That's the problem. It's just <laughs> ran out of fuel. That's, <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> we're working on it. It'll get better, I hope, as I preach. I remember once reading about a sign that said, lost, one dog, right leg broken due to auto accident, right eye missing, left ear bitten off in a dog fight, answers to the name of Lucky. <laughs> Not quite the right name, right? Because we think of a name as having some kind of correspondence, truth correspondence to the thing that isn't named. Right? That's why parents work so hard at naming their kids, and they agonize over getting just the right name. And, and, and if they're smart, they don't let relatives into that process because they all have an opinion. So this, this Advent, next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of the names for Jesus because they tell us something of who he is and what he's about. But they also say something about who we are and what we're about. It is fair to say that your image of God will determine a lot about how you live. So, for instance, if you see God as a cosmic killjoy, you're going to run around trying to stamp out fun wherever it rears its ugly little head. If you think of God as a demanding parent who's never satisfied, you're going to legalistically follow a lot of religious rules. But if you think that God is in a good mood, if you think that God is in a good mood, you're going to live with confidence and courage. Let me ask a question. Do you think our culture could use some courage? Like, there's a lot of fear in our culture right now, right? There's just a whole lot of fear. And today's scripture gives us some reasons that we can live beyond fear. It says, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and it gives four two-word names. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And these names point to Jesus 500 years before his birth, show that he is fully God and fully human, because these are not the kind of names you would give to an ordinary kid, right? Like no parent goes, I know, let's call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? You wouldn't do that unless you wanted your kid to get beat up on the playground. These names say something about Jesus, but they also say something about us, because we belong to him. So if he is everlasting father, what does that make us? Beloved sons and daughters. If he is almighty God, what does that make us? Courageous overcomers. And that's what I want to focus on today. How do we be courageous overcomers in a culture of a lot of fear? When there's a lot of fear in our lives, how do we be courageous overcomers? How do we be courageous overcomers? Because all of us have obstacles in front of us. Maybe it's a goal or a hope you have, and there's just some things in the way to get in there. Or maybe it's a financial or a relationship issue. Or, or maybe it's you're ready for a new adventure and you just don't know how to make it happen. Whatever it is, there are obstacles to overcome. There is fear in our lives. How do we be courageous overcomers? Text gives us a couple of, of answers to that. And the first thing we need to do in order to be courageous overcomers is we got to live by God's wisdom, not ours. Because our wisdom isn't always wise. This passage calls Jesus wonderful counselor, which implies that we all need some counseling, right? We all are in need of wise counsel because what we think of as wisdom sometimes isn't wisdom. Let me ask this question. Have any of you ever screwed something up trying to fix it? Like any of you, like ever just rich? Serious? 
<laughs> You're just going to leave him alone? <laughs> like, I certainly have. I mean, maybe it's just a pastor thing. I don't know. But, right? Because sometimes what we think of as wise is not very wise. As you know, last week I was in the West Bank with my friend Eugene Cho. He's a pastor in Seattle. He's actually preached here before. And we were on the West Bank. We met with Palestinian Christians and other Palestinians, Israeli leaders, UN officials, US consulate, journalists, you name it. We heard about that conflict from all sides, every possible angle. And I'm going to share some of that as, uh, as the weeks unfold. Now, on that trip, we were just there a week. We didn't really have much time to see the holy sites. That wasn't what that trip was about. We were meeting with all those different people. But one site we did get to see was the Western Wall or Wailing Wall which is a remnant of the Jewish temple. And it's sacred to three different religions. And as a consequence, there's kind of a lot of tension in that particular part of Jerusalem. So we got there, and now I was so excited to see it. I just went charging down to the wall to pray, because that's what people do there. And I heard all this yelling behind me, but I kind of couldn't figure out what it was. But the yelling just got louder and louder. So finally, I turned around. Turns out it was a woman yelling at me in Hebrew. Because apparently the wall is divided a woman's side and a men's side, and I was fully in the woman's side, right? <laughs> so just, you know, causing an international incident. That's just kind of how I roll, right? So I walked back up, and Eugene said, why didn't you notice? I said, I, don't, I just didn't, right? I don't know. I said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you stop me? He said, well, I was going to let you make all the mistakes. So thanks, right? I thought I was doing the right thing. Sometimes when we think we're doing the right thing, we're not. We mess stuff up. We've got to do things God's way rather than our way. The context for this passage is that Israel is about to be attacked by the Assyrian Empire, and the people turn to all kinds of things that they thought would help with their fear, with their obstacle, right? Money, charismatic leaders, power, all kinds of politics, all kinds of stuff, right? But Isaiah says, hmm, you think it's helping, but it's not. It's actually making things worse. Instead, trust, do things God's way. Yes, they seem counterintuitive, but they actually work. So, for instance, bless those who curse you. You know what happens when you do that? You bring peace in a toxic environment. It's kind of, kind of counterintuitive, but it works. Forgive those who hurt you. No, no, common sense says to get revenge. Uh-uh. See, when you forgive those who hurt you, you get a sense of peace inside rather than being eaten up by anger. Give some of your money away, and paradoxically, you're going to have more courage around money matters. What? That doesn't make sense. If I give it away, I'll be more afraid. No, 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 because here's what happens. You see that God provides, which gives you confidence, and you discover that you can be happy on less than you thought you needed, which also gives you confidence. To be courageous overcomers, we got to do the counterintuitive things God says to do. Live by his wisdom, not ours. Second, to be courageous overcomers, move in faith not fear. Emphasis on the verb move. Because we all feel fear, but we don't have to move in it. We don't have to act on it. See, almost every experience we have is going to be interpreted either through love or through fear, and we will respond accordingly. So if, for instance, a friend said to me on Monday, you know, said to me tomorrow, you know, Scott, that sermon you preached yesterday, it was kind of as prayers all right, but you know what I was thinking? If you, if you did this, and then maybe give me some advice, right? Next time, maybe if you, and they gave me some advice. Now, if I interpret that through fear, what's going to happen? I'm going to think, oh, he hates me, and I'm a terrible pastor. Time to go sell shoes in Pasco, right? It's all over, just game over. But if I view that through love, what am I going to do? If I view that through love, I'm going to think, oh, oh, he believes in me. He thinks I have it in me to up my game. 
We interpret our experiences either through love or fear and respond accordingly. Which is why the most frequent command in the Bible is do not fear. Do not fear. Because the devil uses fear to separate us from God and from each other. So for instance, in the case of my friend offering advice, if I hear it through fear, I'm likely to lash out in anger. Right? And then what's he going to do? Well, he's going to lash back. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to lash back. And that's going to create more fear in me. So I'm going to lash out even more. And then that's going to create fear in him. So he'll lash out at me even more. See this cycle of fear and anger, fear and anger? Boy, did I see that in spades in the Middle East. Just a cycle of anger and fear and anger and fear. See how the devil works? He just loves to get us spinning in this cycle of being afraid and then mad and afraid and then mad. So when God says, do not fear... He's not chastising us. He's showing us. He's exposing the ways that the enemy works. See, fear always lies, but it lies cleverly because it always uses little scraps of truth to lie to us. But here's the thing. There are things that are true that are not truth. There are things that are true that are not truth. So, for instance, it may be true, for instance, maybe that I'm laid off. That may be true, but it's not truth that I'm abandoned. It may be true that people in my past have rejected me. It's not truth that everybody will or that I'm unlovable. Fear lies like a cheap rug on your grandma's kitchen floor. It always lies. This summer, there was an article in the news that caused a lot of fear in the Seattle area. Some of you may remember it, about this mega earthquake that we are supposedly overdue for. Caused a whole bunch of fear. The quote that caught a lot of attention was, quote, everything west of I-5 will be toast. Well, that's scary, right? It will shock you to learn the media exaggerated that. <laughs> what? <laughs> they didn't. No, they never do that. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, see, a bunch of seismologists came out after that article was printed and said, no, 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 no. No, no. First, we're not necessarily overdue. They happen about once every 500 years. It's been 300. Second, they distorted the quote. The FEMA manager who was being quoted was talking about how they're preparing for this earthquake. What he actually said was, our operating assumption is that everything west of I-5 will be toast. Did they leave something out? Kind of an important thing, right? Our operating assumption. Right? In, in, in other words, we're basically we're being cautious and preparing for the worst. That's not the same thing as saying it's going to happen. One seismologist said, actually, no, actually most neighborhoods are going to look pretty much like they do now with some damage here and there. The roads, there might be some problems on the roads. That's the real issue. Okay, some media outlets have a liberal bias. Some have a conservative bias. They all have a bias toward fear. Because fear sells. Last week, I was at a Palestinian Christian school that put Muslims and Christians together, building relationships that could lead to peace. Down the street, there was a riot. In fact, we could smell the tear gas. But you know what? It was kind of calm in the school. Now, if the media was covering that, they would have made, carefully edited it to make it look like the entire town was rioting instead of just a couple of blocks, and they sure as heck wouldn't have talked about the Palestinian Christian school that's making inroads for peace. So when we see a news story, one question we should always ask is, one, what's the hope that's happening that they're not telling me about? Because they never do. And second, how are they exaggerating the danger? Because they always do. Fear lies. 
And even biologically, fear pushes us out of our frontal lobe thinking, which is where our higher thought happens, pushes us into our animal brain, this pure instinct, fight or flight. That's what fear does to us. But guys, 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 we, we are primates, okay? We have language and opposable thumbs. We can do better. We can rise above this thing, right? It is normal to feel fear. It is normal to feel fear. We do not have to act in it. It's normal to fear, feel fear, but we don't have to move in fear. Instead, we can move in faith. How would you treat a friend who lied to you as many times as your fears lie to you? You'd kick him out, right? This text says that Jesus is everlasting Father, which means we are his beloved sons and daughters, which means that we can interpret events through love, not fear. We may feel fear, but knowing we are loved and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can act on being sons and daughters of the living King. The Lord, the everlasting Father, he is my rock. Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? To be courageous overcomers, live by God's wisdom, not ours, move in faith, not fear. And then finally... Expect the unexpected victory. And here's why we can really be bold. Here's why we can really be brave. Because you see, God often brings victory when it seems impossible and where we least expect it, which means we can all be confident because we, God does the unexpected. In this text, the Assyrians, are, the, army is the Assyrian army is attacking Israel. And Isaiah says, oh, don't worry, don't worry, good news, good news, a baby's coming. Oh, well, that's going to help. Right, send them out there with a little rattle or whatever, right? Like, wow, I mean, like, how's that going to help? I mean, it makes no sense. It's unexpected. And again, clearly this is pointing to Jesus 500 years before his birth because Jesus was born in similar circumstances. When the Roman Empire had conquered the Jews, they were looking for a warrior to kick the Romans out. And what does God do? He sends a baby. Where? To Caesar's palace? The one in Rome, not the one in Vegas. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. He's born in a stable. This is how God launches his rescue operation to planet Earth. I mean, this is definitely God's wisdom. It makes no earthly sense. I mean, let's say that you hired a consultant. And you said, you know what? 2,000 years from now, I want most of the world to know my name, and I want billions of people to center their lives around me. So consultant, give me your strategic plan. Here's what the consultant would not say. Well, first, you need to be born in a stable in a small town no one's ever heard of, surrounded by manure, because that's always helpful, right? No, no, they'd roll this thing out in a big city. They would not say, oh, oh, and make sure that you get executed early in your career and die in disgrace, because that always helps. No, they wouldn't say that. Unexpected. This text says he will honor Galilee of the nations. That would have been an unexpected phrase. It's predicting that Jesus would come from Galilee, Nazareth to be specific. Now, you would have expected maybe Jerusalem, maybe Rome, right? That's where you, not Galilee, because it was considered the most unsophisticated part of Israel, especially Nazareth. There was even a phrase, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? It'd be like saying Richland, can anything good come from Richland? Well, I did, so obviously, right? I mean, it was just this backward place, sort of like, well, Richland. I remember when I was a kid, when the first McDonald's came to Richland, we were so excited. We're like, fine dining has come to the Tri-Cities, yes! Nick's is going to be Applebee's, right? We're on our way up! I, I was just, I was just the, in, over the weekend, I was just in Richland with my parents, and, and my dad was talking, and he was saying, you know what, I, as a kid, I just hated to go to church, but there was this one pastor I really liked because he played the saw. Okay, you know you're in eastern Washington. <laughs> 
when your dad says that to you, right? Like, and unfortunately, I cannot play the saw. I don't, you're out of luck, right? That was kind of Nazareth. Nobody expected anything good to come from Nazareth. But with Jesus, victory comes from the places that we least expect it. And God's counterintuitive ways are more powerful than our wisdom. I mean, Galilee was where the Assyrians first attacked. So the first to feel the darkness was the first to see the great light, this passage promises. And again, this is why we can be confident, because you see, if God had come to Rome in power, it wouldn't help us. We'd say, yeah, sure, if you're born in Rome, if you're born to Caesar's family, sure, you can overcome obstacles, yeah, if you've got all that, but if you're from Richland, you're doomed. That might be true anyway, but I don't know, right? If Jesus had come in wealth and power, we'd say, yeah, sure, if you're wealthy, if you're powerful, you can overcome obstacles. But the fact that he was born into poverty is a way of him saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to make it really hard on myself to prove to you there's nothing I can't overcome. There's nothing I can't overcome. Which means even when it seems impossible that we will overcome obstacles, that's when we can expect to. Because God overcomes in the most unexpected ways, times, and places. So when you don't expect victory is when you should most expect victory because God delivers in unexpected ways. Hope tackles us from the blind side where we least see it coming. And that's what the cross tells us. Right? The enemy's best weapon is fear and sin and death. So what does Jesus do? He uses our sin of crucifying him to cancel the debt of our sin. He uses sin to cure sin. Who'd have thunk it? He dies so that he can defeat death and rise again, as we will if we put our faith in him. He wins by losing. He's strong by being weak. He gives us life by absorbing death. Not how you would expect victory to happen. But that's why it's such good news. When we least expect it is when we can most expect it because God delivers in the unexpected ways. Who would have expected that, a, that this baby born in a stable 2,000 years ago would launch a movement that still today is the fastest growing religion in the world, sweeping Asia, Africa, and Latin America, growing seven to 10 times faster than the population. In the process, whole villages are being put together. People are getting out of poverty. Warlords are going out of business as more and more people follow Jesus instead of the warlords. Had you been there 2,000 years ago at that stable, you would not say, oh, look, a 2,000-year-old movement in the making. That's why we can live courageously, because it may take time. We need patience. It doesn't always look the way we think it should look, but God brings good even out of bad things, often where we least expect it. So how can we step into this? How could this week we start living a little bit more as overcome, courageous overcomers? Two things for your homework. First is remember. Remember the ways that God has come through for you in the past because it gives us confidence in the present. In this text, Isaiah mentions a victory the Israelites had over the Midianites centuries earlier, even though they were vastly outnumbered, as a way of saying, look, if God was faithful then, can't he deliver now? When God comes through for you in some way, he's building his resume for future trust. So bank those good things so you can remember them in the hard times. It gives you confidence. And then second, and this second piece of homework, warriors don't ask for escape, they ask for victory. So pray for victory. And this is important because often I just want to avoid problems. I want to escape. And that's how I pray, right? Like, God, make it stop. You know, kind of a wimpy prayer. But we, we, warriors don't ask for escape, they ask, ask for victory, so pray for victory. Those obstacles, man, they're just going to make me stronger. 
Lord, give me victory. And victory, important caveat, victory doesn't always look the way we think it should, right? Like maybe you don't get the job you're praying for, but somehow down the road that turns out to be a blessing. Maybe the health crisis really is super difficult, but in it you find a supernatural sense of peace and joy. Or maybe somehow it brings your family together that maybe was apart. Victory doesn't always look the way we think it should. But the one thing that I know that I know that I know about God is he brings good things out of bad. Even when I am sure, unsure of everything else, the thing I never doubt is there, a, there is a force in the universe that brings good things out of bad. That's got to be God. And I've seen it a million times, and maybe you've seen it too. Warriors don't ask for escape. They ask for victory and expect it in the least likely places. So what are your obstacles? You know, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's just a goal or a hope, and there's some stuff in the way, including your confusion as to how to get there. Or maybe it's a relationship problem or a money problem. In fact, those two things are often related, relationship and money problems. In fact, do you know what research shows is the number one cause of conflict in a marriage? It's the husband. <laughs> but second, second is money. Okay? Whatever obstacle you, you face, whatever it is, this week, live by God's counterculture wisdom, move in faith, not fear, and expect victory to come in the most unexpected ways. I was in London this summer to talk with various church leaders to learn from them, and I met a pastor there who grew up in a poor neighborhood in London and did pretty well in high school so, and wanted out of that neighborhood, so he decided to apply to college and also decided to apply to Oxford because nobody in his school had ever gone to Oxford. Well, part of that process is you have to do an interview. So he thought, well, I should probably dress up for this interview, right? But he didn't have anyone in his life to show him how to do that properly, and, and all he had was this beige suit that didn't fit, and said not the kind of suit that you'd wear to an interview, more like to a nightclub, right? And then he put on his favorite shirt and said, again, not, not an interview shirt, but kind of what you might wear to the beach. Got dressed up, and he, and he went, and he walked into the room, waiting room where there's like 40 people waiting to do this inter interview. And the minute he walks through the door, he goes, oh, so that's what you're supposed to wear to an interview. Oh, a collared shirt. Oh, man, why didn't I have a collar? Oh, man, a tie. I shouldn't have put on a tie. What? Right? And, and, and he said everyone in that room was kind of looking around, sizing each other up, trying to figure out who was a threat. He said nobody thought I was a threat. Well, they called his name, and he went in for the interview, and as soon as he got in the interview room, he starts freaking out, and he goes, wait, I haven't thought this through. How, how do you greet an interviewer? Like, should I shake their hand, or is that too formal? Should I hug them? And he, he'd seen movies where people do that two-kiss thing, so he thought, maybe, no, that probably isn't it either, right? So he, as he's thinking about this, he started to edge around the side of the room, and the interviewers kind of followed him, edging around the side of the room, but they weren't actually meeting, and then that freaked him out. And, and, and so he said, just sit down. But in his nervousness, he sat down so quickly that his legs flew up and the chair tilted backward and just all kind of a disaster, right? So finally they fixed that, and then finally the interviewer said, you know, we've been reading your application with interest. He didn't think that sounded very good, right? And, and they said, you're it says you're developing your own personal ideology. What is it? And he thought, Ideology? I never use that word. What does that word mean, right? And then he starts rambling and doesn't really answer the question. And then they asked him a second question. And they said, well, how do people in your, what, what, what do people in your neighborhood think about you applying to Oxford? And he said, well, I didn't tell them because I didn't want to get beat up. And that wasn't what they were expecting to hear. And he said, from that point, the interview just got worse. <laughs> Here's what he didn't know. 
What he didn't know is that one of the interviewers was the president of the college, and she was desperate to get people from different backgrounds into Oxford. So it turned out that every odd, weird thing he did just kept convincing her, this is our guy. <laughs> right? Like, he's different. This is the one we want. So he got admitted, and he graduated, and became a lawyer for a while, and now he's a pastor, and I don't think those two things are linked, but he thought everything he was doing disqualified him. But it turned out that what he didn't have, the know-how to do that interview, was actually working for him. You see, sometimes it's what you don't have that is your best asset. And we can have hope because God often helps us overcome when we least expect it in the least likely ways. So what are the obstacles that you face? And how can you live as a courageous overcomer this week? Because no matter all the obstacles that may be true in our life, they are not truth. Here is the truth. We belong to none other than Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace who sets us free in ways we least expect it, which means we can always expect it because God does the unexpected and we are more than conquerors through him. So Jesus, we declare we are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. Help us to live in that power. Help us to live in that victory. Help us to live in that hope. Help us to live in that love. Everlasting Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace. In your name, Jesus, amen.